0: this morning. You may be seated. Well, happy second Sunday of Advent. I can't believe how close we are to Christmas. I don't know if I told you, I think I did, that my family is, we're doing some renovation work. When you One of the things they don't tell you about when being a homeschool parent is your kids are there all the time and your house takes a beating all the time. And so we're doing some update and we're doing some work and it just seems like I don't know, do you feel this way? I feel like I can't get anything done right now in this season. It just feels like I'm here and I'm there and there's all these things that will distract me and pull me different directions and I'm sure you guys are feeling the same way. And so that's our struggle, isn't it, this time of year to set aside some time and focus on the real meaning of the season. And the real meaning of the season is Jesus Christ. The real meaning of the season is not about presents, it's not about candles, it's not about... Getting together with family, it's not about Santa Claus and that sort of thing. It's about Jesus. It's about the greatest story ever told. And I just pray today that we're able to set aside some time. And maybe this morning this would be a space where we come together and we focus on Him and we hear from Him anew. So, happy second Sunday of Advent. Being that it's Christmas season, I've got to tell you my favorite Christmas joke. How about we start out that way this morning? And uh, it's a dad joke. And you know what a dad joke means is it's not really that funny, but it's so bad it's kind of funny, right? One of those jokes. Those are the kinds I like. And so i got to share my favorite. If you have heard this before and you don't find it funny, just laugh anyway. Just humor me. Just go along with me. But uh, one of my favorite Christmas jokes. A Russian couple was walking down the street in St. Petersburg one night during the Cold War. When the man felt a drop, hit his nose. I think it's raining, he said to his wife. No, that felt more like snow to me, she replied. No, I'm sure it was rain, he said. Well, as these things go, they were about to get into a major argument about whether it was raining or snowing. And just then they saw a minor Communist Party official walking toward them. Let's not fight about it, the man said. Let's ask comrade Rudolph whether it's officially raining or snowing. As the official approached, the man said, Tell us, comrade Rudolph, is it officially raining or snowing? It's raining, of course, he answered and walked on. But the woman insisted, I know that felt like snow. To which the man quietly replied, Are you ready for it? Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. Yeah, give it up. That's one of the worst jokes ever, but it's kind of funny in its own way. It's kind of like me. Anyway, all right, enough of that. Let's move on to more important stuff. Uh, This morning we are continuing our series, What Child Is This? And I am convinced more and more that in our culture, in American culture, in the 21st century, we have lost sight of who Jesus fully is. We may understand some aspects about who Jesus is, but I don't think we have a full view anymore, at least for the most part, of who Jesus really was, who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it's our understanding that can sometimes change. And so in this series, I'm trying to provide for you angles of Jesus, viewpoints of Jesus that we might not always encounter that we might not normally get. And so last week we looked at the interior of Jesus. We looked at his heartbeat. We looked at what made him work in this world, tick in this world, if you want to put it that way. And we talked about how he is God's gentle servant. I had a former student, I won't tell you his whole story, but a former student got in contact with me this week and some things had happened in his life that he did not anticipate things seemed to be going really well in his life and then he made some decisions that led him a different direction and now things seem to be going really bad in his life and he was talking about some of the problems that he was encountering and i told him he just seemed hopeless as he as he talked to me and i said listen what you need to do is put your life in the hands of jesus christ and trust in him and he said, even he's deserted me. And I said, no, he hasn't. And I actually gave him the verse we talked about last week, how Jesus will not break a broken or break a bruised reed and how he will not snuff out a candle that's on his last ember. He's a gentle servant. He's kind and he's loving. And so pray for this young man. I won't give you his name because I wouldn't embarrass him. For anything but just pray for this young man who feels like God's not there and when the reality is God's right there God's right there and he still loves him and he can still redeem him and turn his life around and so last week we looked at the interior of Jesus and found out he's God's gentle servant but this week we're moving up about 10,000 feet we're going to look at a big picture of Jesus we're going to look at a big overview of who he is and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly how I ended up preaching uh, preaching on this subject this morning. I was had one view in mind, and that started to prepare that sermon, and it didn't work. And so I moved to another view and started to prepare that sermon, and it didn't work. And finally, God brought me to this thing that I've never preached on before. And I'm not sure exactly who it's for, but I'm just sure that when I believe when God leads me somewhere, it's for somebody. Okay, so this morning, and maybe it's just one of you. Maybe it's somebody who's gonna watch us online and it's not even anybody in this room, I don't know. But I do believe that God led me to this scripture to this point today. The question is, how does Jesus fit into God's big story? How does Jesus fit into God's big story? You see, I think we understand, we've heard a lot about the birth of Jesus around Christmas time. We've heard some about the passion of Christ that happened at Easter and on Good Friday and on that Passover uh, experience that Passover week we've heard the ends and we've heard some about the middle Jesus turning water into wine how he healed the blind man how he made uh, the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and uh, we've heard all of that but I don't know that we necessarily understand that Jesus didn't just show up in nothing he showed up in history he showed up in a, a, a story that God had been preparing For thousands of years and a story that now includes me and you and Jesus showed up the Bible says at the fullness of time in other words God sent his son at the right moment the precise right moment to save and redeem this world and so this morning I want to give you kind of an overview of how God fit Jesus right into this story of history because you need to understand history is really his story it's all about Jesus It's all about Jesus. Everything that you can think of in history is really all about Jesus Christ. You probably know this. I'm probably teaching you nothing new here. But the Holy Bible has two halves to it. They're not exactly 50% and 50%, but it's divided into two major sections. We have the Old Testament, which is the Jewish scriptures. Most of the Old Testament tells a story about a guy named Abraham that God picked out. His, his original name was Abram, and he called him to go to a place that he didn't even know, a place he'd never been to before, but he stepped out in faith, and it tells how God built a channel for redemption, a nation for redemption through Abraham, and it tells the story of all of that. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus and the church, and it's mostly written by Jewish people, but it's giving a different perspective, a new movement that God created through this one man named Jesus and through the power of of the Holy Spirit so we have those two halves we probably as Christians spend more time in the New Testament and I don't think that's necessarily bad that's probably good because the New Testament is about us it's about what God wants to do in this world through us through his church but sometimes we neglect the Old Testament and we neglect the understanding of what God did in that portion of Scripture and in the Old Testament as I said it's mostly centered around one nation and that's the nation of Israel I don't know if maybe visiting Israel in the last couple of months had something to do with this and how God worked through this. I don't know. Again, I don't know why God led me here this morning. I just know that he did. Talked about Abraham. God made some serious promises to Abraham when he called him to leave his nation, Ur of the Chaldeans. It was a pagan nation. We're taught that Abraham actually his father worked in idolatry that there were, they, they made idols and that was almost like the family business is what history teaches and God called him out of all that and he gave him some promises in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. I want to look at those promises. The Lord had said to Abram, again his name will later be Abraham, but the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people. And your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. By the way, I don't think God has ever revoked those blessings. I think they are still in effect. I believe the nation of Israel is still blessed for Abraham's sake. Look at it on the map. Just a tiny dot surrounded by enemies and yet it persists. Two times in history, it's gone out of existence, but it's come back into existence. Most countries do not have that in their history. Most of the time when a nation goes out, it's gone. But God has brought Israel back a couple of different times. I believe there's a great blessing still on the nation of Israel. God says, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. There are three religions that honor Abraham as very important in their history. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all revere the name of Abraham, and that is one of God's blessings. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. History has shown time and time again, you do not want to mess with Israel. When you mess with Israel, bad things come your way, and I believe it's because of the blessings that God gave to Abraham. And then finally, probably the greatest blessing, the greatest part of this blessing, God says to Abraham, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Can you imagine God promising you and saying, I'm going to bless every nation, every tribe, every tongue, they're going to be blessed through you. What a great promise he gave to Abraham. And we want to see in this sermon today how God fulfilled that, how God actually made that happen. And so Israel is created by God through Abram, who becomes Abraham, to be a light to the world. And God positions Israel in a specific place, in the middle of the known world, in a tiny place surrounded by Europe and Africa and Asia. Right in the middle of everything, God places this chosen nation. God frees them from slavery, from the Egyptians. God blesses them with his perfect law. If a human being could perfectly keep God's law, then that person would be saved. But we'll find out that no person can keep that law. No mere human being can keep the perfect law of God. The nation of Israel overflows with God's blessings. By the time of Solomon, who may have probably was the richest man in world history. By the time of Solomon, you have kings and queens and other nations coming to hear of his wisdom, coming to learn of the greatness of Israel. From slaves to that great nation, God takes this nation of Israel. God's chosen people, Israel, were to be a nation that would save the world. But Israel does what human beings always do. Israel fails. Israel does not live up to the call that God has placed on them. He brings them into the promised land. He overthrows their enemies. He establishes them with riches and influence. And what do they do? They sell out. Church, that's a word for us today, if there ever was a word. We are a blessed and prosperous people. We are a privileged people in this nation. We have been blessed with everything we could possibly want. And compared to the rest of the world, we are super rich. The poor among us are super rich compared to the rest of the world. We are blessed. We have been blessed with spiritual guidance. We have been blessed with great men and women who have led us in the ways of God in this nation. But when we get rich and when everything's taken care of and when we get comfortable, then it's so easy to sell out. It's so easy to take our ease and quit and not, not remember who's the person, who is the one that brought us here, and that person is God. And so Israel does this. They sell out. They worship other gods. They fail to keep the law of God, and they fail miserably. It gets so bad that by the end, the children of Israel are murdering their own children in pagan sacrifices. It's a trail all the way through the bible from beginning to end anytime evil shows up children die and i believe that's true because children are such an image of how god wants us to be before him he wants us to have that innocence that trust god loves children satan hates children that should tell you all you need to know about some issues that go on in our world today but the children of israel get so bad they murder their children in pagan sacrifices. Moloch and Baal are a couple of the different gods that are worshipped, which are actually demons, and actually their idols, one of the idols of Moloch is actually a metal idol with hands that are out in front of it. And they would heat it up, and the children of Israel would actually place their own little baby boys and baby girls on that and let them burn to death. And the reason they did that was because they thought it would bring them prosperity and they thought it, they would, it would bring them blessing. I'm pro-life, by the way. And if you don't like that, I can't help you because I always will be. I always will be because God is. Children are blessings in this world. And they, the children, yeah, you might want to clap at that. And if someone is pro-death, if someone is pro-murder of infants, as Christians, we can't support them. We can't support them, and I'll make no apologies till the end of time for saying that. But they get so bad, they murder their own children in pagan sacrifices. They become the opposite of what they were meant to be. They were meant to be a light to this world, and instead they plunge themselves into darkness. That's what happens to Israel. They don't bring glory to God's name. Instead, they bring reproach to the name of God. What a tragic story. And so Israel looks like on the surface, they look like a complete failure. But through it all, God still has a plan to save the world through Israel. Isn't God's grace and mercy, aren't they amazing? Aren't those qualities amazing within him? He still has a plan. He still made Abraham a promise. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. And even though the nation that came out of Abraham has failed in so many ways, God is still going to keep his promise. Well, how does God do that? Well, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders not the shoulders of Moses, not the shoulders of David, not the shoulders even of Solomon, the shoulders of Jesus Christ comes from Abraham's line and through, the entire, through him the entire world is blessed. The baby boy of Bethlehem, Judea, changes everything. Aren't you glad? Lost in the dark, no chance, no hope, but God sent forth his son into this broken world. To save us from our sins. Give God some praise for that this morning. So what child is this? Jesus is the true and greater Israel. Jesus is the true and greater Israel. The Old Testament, the whole story of Israel, we find in John chapter 5, Jesus says, it's about me wasn't really about Israel all along that whole story it's about me John chapter 5 and verse 39 Jesus says to the teachers of the law you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life these are the very scriptures that testify about me on my Facebook page right now every day from here until Christmas I might even go a little bit past Christmas every day i am giving you an old testament prophecy that came true in jesus christ so if you're my friend on there you follow that you can see that 1400 1500 years before the time of christ god was saying what was going to happen in jesus only god can do that only god can predict something hundreds of years in the future i mean i might predict something that's going to happen this year or next year and come up with it right because it's not that far off and i can kind of in my humanness, figure everything out, in my ability, intellectual ability, figure everything out. Only God is one who can predict crucifixion before there is such a thing as crucifixion. That's a great apology. Uh, we, we call it uh, apologetics. That's a great apology. That's a great rational defense for the Christian faith, by the way. God predicted things hundreds of years in the past that came true in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, it's all about me. This whole story, it's all about me when you want a job done right what do you do you do it yourself i've always heard you want a job done right you do it yourself well god wanted the job of salvation done right so you know what he did he did it himself he sent his only begotten son to save us from our sins we couldn't save ourselves so god sent his only begotten son to save this world if you're not convinced, if you've never seen before that there's parallels between the life of Jesus and the, and the time of Israel, I want to show you, I found 14 different things that will show you parallels between Jesus and Israel. And by the way, isn't the Bible amazing? Isn't God's word? You can study it, I will study it the rest of my life, God willing, and I will never exhaust what it teaches. I'll never find all the parallels, I'll never make connect all the dots because it's, it's more than I am. It's more than any human being could write. It's greater than that. You say, Brent, I don't believe that. Do a little research. Do a little research on God's word. It is amazing and it is powerful and it is beyond human ability to create. It's God breathed, it's spirit breathed. Let me give you some parallels in the life of Jesus and in Israel. Number one, Israel is called the son of God in Exodus four because God created this nation. Jesus is called the Son of God in Luke chapter 1. Major parallel. Number two, Israel survives Pharaoh's massacre of the infants in Exodus chapter 1. Jesus survives Herod's massacre of the infants in Matthew chapter 2. Number three, Israel is brought out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus is brought out of Egypt in Matthew chapter 2. By the way, I have people say sometimes, You can't trust modern Bibles because some of the manuscripts that uh, uh, are used to translate modern Bibles were found in Egypt and nothing good comes out of Egypt. And my answer to that is, yeah, except for Israel and Jesus. Um, Anyway, number four, Israel passes through the waters of the Red Sea, which is Exodus chapter 14. And Jesus passes through the waters of baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Israel is tested in the desert for 40 years, and they fail. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus is tested in the desert for 40 days, and he overcomes. That's in Luke chapter 4. Israel grumbles that there is no bread in the desert in Exodus chapter 16, but Jesus relies on the bread of the word of God in the desert in Luke chapter 4. Israel bows down to the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. Jesus refuses to bow down to Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Israel has 12 tribes described in Deuteronomy 27. Jesus has 12 disciples described in Luke chapter 6. The Jewish Torah has five books, and when we look at the book of Matthew, Jesus' teachings in Matthew have five parts. Israel endures judgment for their sin in Ezekiel chapter 18 and Jesus endures judgment for our sin in 1 Peter chapter 2. Israel is exiled into Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 29, and Jesus is exiled into the grave in Matthew 27. Israel is resurrected as a nation in Ezra chapter 1, and Jesus is resurrected as the King of Kings in Matthew chapter 27. In the end, Jesus will rule over a renewed earth from the new Jerusalem. That's in Revelation chapter 21. By the way, I love the end of the book. Jesus wins and we win. Jesus wins. You, wanna, you can debate how it's all going to work out, slice it up this way, make your prophecy charts. What it boils down to is Jesus wins, and if we're on his side, we win. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that. And by the way, the name Israel means struggles with God. We find that in Genesis chapter 32. But a name for Jesus, Emmanuel, means God is with us in Matthew chapter 1. Not just that we struggle with God, but God is with us. He's within us. It's a new thing that God did through Jesus Christ. Do you you guys find that as mind-blowing as I do? It's all right there, it's a parallel, it's a story that God has woven into his bigger story to help us understand who Jesus is, what he's done in history, how much God loved us. He loved us enough, he set this thing up from the beginning of time individually because he loved each and every one of us enough to redeem us from our sins. I mean, he, he didn't have to, but he did. Now, ironically, you guys may know that most Jewish people to this day are not Christians. But Romans chapter 11 teaches us, and when we were in Israel, this thrilled my heart. I don't know if it will thrill your heart as much as it did mine, but we found out a few decades back there were as little as 1,000 Jews in Israel who believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now there are tens of thousands of Jews in Israel that believe Jesus is the Messiah. God is doing something with his people. Romans chapter 11, and by the way, I believe we're his people as well. But Romans chapter 11 teaches that eventually all of Israel will be saved. God still has a heart for his people. He still has a heart for the tribe of Abraham. Most of them, though, right now are still waiting For the Messiah to come the first time. We talked to a guy, we had a tour guide that was really interesting when we were in Israel. He said that he believed Jesus is the Messiah to come, but the first time he came, he was not the Messiah, which is wrong, by the way. And he said, at the end, if I find out I'm wrong, I'll be willing to go down to the Jordan real quick and get baptized. And that just broke my heart because I thought it will be too late. You don't get that another chance at it. It will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come to know Jesus as your Savior. But the Bible does teach eventually all of Israel will be saved. The Jewish rabbis, you may not know this, it's interesting. The Jewish rabbis even skip over what is probably the strongest Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, which is Isaiah chapter 53. They don't read that. They actually, when they have their their Shabbat or Sabbath services, they'll have one on Friday night. They'll have one that's offered usually on Saturday morning and some uh, synagogues actually offer one on Saturday afternoon. So you have three different choices of when you come to these services. But in their weekly readings or on Shabbat, they always read something from the prophets. But when they get to the end of Isaiah chapter 52, And all of uh, Isaiah chapter 53, which points so strongly to Jesus, they skip that. You'll come to Shabbat one week and they'll read part of Isaiah chapter 52. You'll come back the next week and they'll read Isaiah chapter 54. They conveniently leave out the part that points to Jesus. And so many Jews have never heard that chapter that points to the Lord. By the way, I'm going to read this section of scripture to you. By the way, keep in mind this was written... 700 years before Jesus. For all of these things, all of these prophecies about Jesus to come true in one man is beyond the realm of statistical probability. It cannot happen just by chance. This had to be God-ordained, God-designed. These are the fingerprints of God on his word and on history. And an honest man or woman has to look at that and say, I can't explain this It's beyond me. It looks like something beyond me is up to something here. But let me read you the section of Scripture that they skip, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It's Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, and Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, the whole chapter. See, my servant will act wisely. This is God speaking. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Aren't there some world leaders, some governmental leaders, you'd like to see them shut their mouths? Well... This says, because of Jesus, it's going to happen. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord talks about his power. It talks about his ability to do something, and it's describing Jesus here. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That's probably the most physical description we get of Jesus in the entire Bible. And what, what is it saying? It's saying he's an average-looking guy. Wasn't nothing particularly stunning or amazing. He didn't look like a model off the cover of GQ. He was just an average-looking man. That's not what was special about him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. When we were in Israel, we saw the place they think Jesus was crucified. It's owned by Muslims now, and at the bottom of it, there's all this trash. There's a bus terminal right in front of it. There's trash all over it. I said, look, it's a place that's still despised. Even if that is actually the place of Golgotha, if that was actually the place where Jesus was crucified, it's still despised, it's still not regarded by men. And Jesus was the same way. Here, this is so beautiful, guys. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Those nails were for me and you. That spear was for me and you. He didn't do anything to deserve it, it was because of us. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He suffered so we could be made whole. That's Jesus. That's who he is. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, that means the sin of us all. The worst thing I've ever done, the worst thing that you've ever done, it was laid on Jesus. It was put on him. He took it. He didn't have to, but he loved us enough that he took it. for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned to grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. Who's, who are the offspring of Jesus? Thus. us. He didn't have biological children, he was never married, he didn't have that. We're his children, we're his offspring. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. You say, well, how does Jesus divide anything? It's because he's so good, he lets us share in it. He lets us share in his royalty. He lets us share in his divine nature of who he is. Because he poured his life out unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession... For the transgressors. It's a sad portion of scripture to to skip, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's important. It tells us who Jesus is. 700 years before he was born, God let us know who was coming and what he was all about. You know, here's a great fact, though. Not every Jew has missed Jesus. Not every Jew has rejected the Messiah. There are some, and as I said, there are more every day who are coming to faith. And I don't want you to think this is a sermon to the Jew, but if there's somebody out there who is Jewish, understand your Messiah, your Messiah is Jesus Christ. The Bible's all about him. It's for you. It's for the Jew first and then to us, those of us who are Gentile. But the plain fact of the matter is every person in this world, Jew or Gentile, needs Jesus Christ. We need the redemption that he offers. We all have to bow our knee to him. We'll either bow now or we'll bow later. Well either bow now or when he returns in his glory, you're gonna have no choice. You're gonna know this is the king and you have to bow your knee to him. I found a great, as I was researching this this week, I found a great, I love testimonies. I don't know if you're like I am, but I love testimonies. I love when people share what Jesus Christ has done for them. And I found the testimony of a Jewish school teacher who came to Jesus and a big part of why she came to Jesus was she encountered Isaiah chapter 53. This morning, I'd like for us just to watch that testimony together. Just, but understand, even though this is a Jewish convert to Christianity, it could be my story or it could be your story. Because we all need him, and he died for each and every one of us. So let's watch this together. It's a video from a, a group called One for Israel. Let's watch this together, and I pray God speaks to you through this testimony.
1: When I was nine years old, we moved to the United States. Uh, from Jerusalem, and the number one song in the country was Anne Marie, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. And I'll never forget, my mom comes into the car and I'm like, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. My mom says, what did you say, my mouth?" And I s- I'm singing the song. She's like, l'ombrim jesus. We don't say Jesus. But why? In Hebrew, she says, yeshu. I grew up not being able to say that name. My son at the age of five was diagnosed with Asperger's. He was not verbal, he was very distant. He was the cause of me going back to school and becoming a special education teacher. I knew a lot about science, I studied a lot about everything, but I really never even opened the Bible. Ironically, I was teaching Hebrew school as a side job, teaching the prayers, teaching the liturgy. I mean, I knew everything. I, I had seen my father pray the prayers and put on the Talib, and, and I know all of the rhetoric and everything that, you know, goes along with being Jewish, but I didn't feel any connection to God. I would sit at synagogue and I tried to feel something. I tried to feel God. And it wasn't, it was like the Chagall stained glass windows and everybody around me, and the bima and the ark, and the Torah being taken out. And I felt, I remember feeling nothing. At my school, I worked at an after-school program, and there was a woman um, that had wrote, written a book called, Jesus, Can I Talk to You? So she said to me, I don't have money to hire an editor. Would you help me edit my book? And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. So I do know about writing, I know about English, I know about commas, I know about semicolons. I just don't know anything about Jesus. It was a lot of stuff from the Old Testament. And I'm like, um, and and I would see things like, you know, uh, this is from Ecclesiastes, or this is from, you know, Samuel or Kings. And I was like, these are our, our books. This came from the Jewish Bible. I never read the Bible. I read about the fact that we would be pierced. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus and for the first time the Bible came alive to me and it's Isaiah 53 and you know I said how can you miss this it's like right there it's right there in the scripture in our in our book saying the prayer and asking for him to come into my life and I accepted him as my savior even though I just became a believer in the Jewish Messiah, but in Jesus, whose name I can't even say at the private Jewish school. Whoa, this is too weird. The grandson of the head of our Judaics program, in the first year that he was there, he, you know, would talk to me and, and I would say, oh, it's time to go to tefillah. You know, students were are required to go to prayer and you must go to tefillah. He's like, I hate tefillah. I'm like, your grandfather is the head of the Judaics program of the school. And so he comes up and he puts a keep on my head and he's like, you're like a rabbi because rabbi in Hebrew means teacher. He goes, I could just see it, one day you're gonna become a Hasidic. And I said, no, 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 Joshua. <laughs> totally the furthest thing I'm going to become. He says to me, he goes, I don't understand you. What kind, like, do you keep Shabbat? What kind of a Jew are you? What do you mean, what kind of a Jew am I? And he goes, there's something different about you. There's, I don't know what it is. There's something different about you. And I said, Joshua, sit down. I really respect you and i'm going to tell you uh, what's different about me is that i believe that jesus is the messiah and his eyes got wide and he stood up and he pointed at me he's like i knew it i knew it you're, you're always talking about love and stuff and and, and the students know they know I, t- I can talk about god all day see i couldn't do that in public school public school you can't talk about god but at a private jewish school i can talk about god all day and you know sometimes they'll They'll go, you know, they they test me and and sometimes I get really close and they really question, like, what am I really saying? But if they ever come to me and say, what do you really believe like Joshua does or did, I would tell them, I believe that Jesus is my Messiah. Coming out of the messianic closet, that's pretty much a good way to put this. I've gone against completely against the grain. You know, when you go against the grain, like you get splinters. It's not easy. It's not been an easy path for me, especially knowing what I know and hearing what I hear, how the rabbis talk about him, how the students mock him. And they say, okay, I'm here for you. I wanna stay here. You know, and people ask me, aren't you afraid if they find out at your school that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you'll get fired? God will always provide. He has through everything, and he always delivers. He took it on the cross for me. Jesus died so that I could be born again. The greatest pain is to give up your own child. How much God must have loved us to give up his only son for us.
0: just uh, quickly the worship team is going to get into place and there's a they got a great song for us to end the service one that really really touches my heart but before we do that I just feel like God is speaking to somebody here today I don't know if you'll answer him but I feel like he's speaking to somebody and so I would just ask you if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second is there anybody here today who would like to make the same decision as that jewish school teacher that to make jesus your messiah your lord your savior it's really simple you just confess that you're a sinner you repent of your sins and you put the full weight of your life you put your full trust in him to save you from your sins to deliver you and to give you eternal life it's not as easy to decide it's not always as easy to live out but we'll be here for you if you make that decision to help you along the way. I just wonder, is there anybody here today who would just say, I want to make Jesus my Savior? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. Is there anybody here who needs to make that decision? If that's you, just raise your hand up. I'm not going to call you up or embarrass you or anything like that. I just want to know, is there anybody here who says, I need to make that decision? I need to decide that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Anybody here today? I know God's speaking to some of us. Today could be your day. Anyone? One last chance. Anybody say, that's me. I need to make that decision. Okay, you guys can look up. If God's working on your heart, we call that conviction. Conviction is when he lets us know that we're a sinner and he lets us know that we need Jesus. If, if God's working on your heart and you just couldn't go through with it today, know that I'm here to talk to. Pastor Jason is here to talk to other members of our staff we're here to talk to and there's no greater decision that you can make than to follow Jesus but this morning we're going to talk about we're going to sing in this song and it's going to talk about how worthy he is he's the only one worthy he's the only one worthy he's the only one that's worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor So this morning, we're not going to ask that you stand and sing this song. This is going to be a song that we just want to wash over you. Now, from your seat, if you want to sing along, if you catch the tune and you catch the words, you're welcome to sing along. But this morning, I just want you to think. I want you to really think about the words of this song this morning as the worship team leads us in this. Is he worthy? Father, we thank you that Jesus is worthy. We don't want any honor for our own name, any glory for our own name. We want the name of Jesus to be magnified. For he is truly worthy. He is the Lion of Judah. And he's the Lamb of God. Lord, continue to speak to us when we leave this place. The great news is I'm not the preacher. The Holy Spirit is so Holy Spirit continue to speak to us, continue to draw us, continue to work on us this week. Those of us who don't know you draw us into you, and those of us who do know you, God, help us to go deeper and further and higher with you. Thank you for showing up this morning. Thank you for blessing our hearts. Thank you for allowing us to worship at your throne of grace. As we leave this place, Help us to live lives that are holy, lives that are reflective of who you truly are. God, we love you, and we praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray all of these things because he's the one who loved us enough to give himself for us. And Rushwood said together, amen. I love you guys. There's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you uh, Wednesday night to pack some boxes. We'll see you tonight for the choir concert. God bless you.